Hi guys, just a quick trigger warning at the start of this episode. We will be discussing instances of sexual assault, uh, misogyny, racism. Just to flag that with you before you start listening, if those are topics that could be potentially triggering to you, feel free to skip this episode and catch us on the next one. But thank you for listening. Hi guys, welcome to Jules and Phoebe, the weekly pop culture and social commentary podcast brought to you by yours truly, Jules and Phoebe. Hey Phoebe. Hey Jules, how are you? I'm all right, how are you doing? You know what, I'm okay, but I think that, I think we've got to go in and address it straight on. It's been a tough week for women, I think particularly in the UK. Obviously, when we last recorded it last Monday, last recorded the podcast, we were talking about Meghan and Harry's interview and everything that had happened there. And it kind of felt like, oh, wow, what an empowering moment. This woman is getting to speak her truth. She's broken free of this institution that was very much trying to silence her. And then it kind of (laughs) went steadily downhill from Monday. Would you agree? I actually think it's been a bad week for the United Kingdom. Following the interview with Meghan and Harry, the UK has been lambasted Mm -hmm. by every credible network globally. The Australians are not having it. The Americans are not having it. The Canadians are not having it. And I feel that we went from sort of Trump being this like awful um, person that we could all kind of like, you know, laugh at and be like, oh my God, so outrageous, so crazy, to basically him leaving the White House and handing the baton over to the UK. Yeah, it's so true. And you know what, in light of all of that, I'm actually glad that so many other countries are calling it out for what it is. Because, I mean, when we spoke last week, you said specifically about Piers Morgan being completely unhinged, and we touched on his you know, his perceived almost ownership of Meghan Markle. And we were kind of intrigued to see where it would go next. And I'm glad that these other countries, these other geographies are rallying around Meghan and Harry and seeing what they said for objectively what it is, because the UK seems to have just doubled down. Obviously, Piers now has left Good Morning Britain but he's trying to pretend that he was, it seems he can't get his narrative quite straight because at times he's saying that he quit and then it's, you know, that he was let go. And I feel like this feeds into his overall narrative of, you know, railing against cancel culture. And I'm almost disappointed that things have aligned for him in such a way that he can say, oh, I'm not allowed to tell people that this, biracial woman who has gone through significant amounts of trauma in the past four years is suicidal. I'm being cancelled for saying that I think she's lying. It's almost made him a martyr for that corner of the internet that hates her and will never be convinced otherwise. Oh yeah, he's definitely martyred himself. And so my understanding is when Piers walked off of Good Morning Britain, everyone was saying he's going to be joining this new right-wing network. And then he was basically offered a job with that network on live television or on on social right mm-hmm. so I think a, I think a part of this has been I looked at Piers and I was like this guy is so unhinged and when he walked off I was like this is 
so dramatic. And so a part of me is thinking, was that just PR? Was that him just trying to kind of capitalize on that moment and set himself up for his new opportunity? Because the way it was going, it was like Piers is going to go off the air. And I think that his behavior was drawing so much attention in a this man has written 57 articles about Meghan Markle. This man has tweeted about Meghan Markle however many times in the past seven days. you know. And we're going to touch on this over the course of the episode and Sarah Everard and this kind of male toxicity. But he was almost becoming a poster child for that, where this is how dangerous it can be when men feel that they are laying claim to women. They have ownership over women just because. And people were unearthing all of those old interviews where he was saying, oh, no, I actually only met her once. We just had a couple of drinks and then that was it. But in his mind, he deserved to be invited to the wedding somehow. Yeah, I think he really inflamed the whole thing. So with Piers leaving Good Morning Britain, I wasn't too surprised about that. What did surprise me were some of the reactions I was seeing on on social, mainly from like younger people who I seem to be British. But I was really interested in like people's whole analysis of the situation, because I think I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but I've always said Piers bullies his co-host. I really felt their dynamic was really toxic. I was like, what is going on? You know, how can this really be allowed in our living rooms every morning? To the point where Susanna Reid, his co-host, is really famous, but I didn't even know her name because... She had no room to even speak. But then I was kind of educated on all of that because what people were saying is that she's an enabler. She's an incredibly successful, privileged British white woman, very successful, very well known in the UK. And she does have agency. But I was saying, she, you know, I looked at it like, wow, look at her. She's so fragile. She's so frail. Look at Piers. But where I was educated last week, was when people were saying she's an enabler. What she does is stay silent. So you can never accuse her of having the same opinions as Piers, but she never really distances herself from what Piers is saying in a meaningful way. And she never shuts him down in a meaningful way. And she's on social media. So even if on set, she can't really challenge him, there are ample opportunities for her to take a stand and challenge him and she never did so in a meaningful way so I'd really like to know what your view is on that. Firstly I I completely agree I think that there is a complicit aspect to all of this right you can watch it play out and then you can maybe not overtly say something and tell yourself well because I didn't agree you know he surely can't think I'm on his side specifically in the case of Susanna Reid. But isn't it like Gary Barlow on The X Factor when Misha B was being bullied and Gary Barlow didn't say anything, but then later down the line, you know, said, oh, there were dodgy things that were happening on the set, you know, and some of the contestants were being set up. But in that moment, he was complicit and he enabled that situation because he didn't use his privilege to speak up. Yeah, and I think that, listen, equally... And I'm not trying to defend either Gary Barlow or Susanna Reid in this situation. Equally, I think that we would both acknowledge that more conversations have started happening over this in an open space, right, over the past, say, 10 years. The difficulty you have is you can make that argument of, oh, well, we only really started speaking about this openly in the last two, three, five, ten years. But that open conversation is a lived experience for 
people of color or marginalized people or minority peoples for a lot longer than that. Just because it only came to your attention now, it doesn't justify, it contextualizes why you didn't maybe have a response to hand straight away because you're thinking, well, okay, I don't know the the correct way to rebuff this, but you can never really go wrong with overt condemnation. And there have been things written about Susanna Reid or Susanna Reid said in an interview that sometimes she would leave set from Good Morning Britain and she would go to her dressing room and cry because she hated working with Piers Morgan so much. Because then there was subsequently an interview with Piers Morgan where he was told that fact and he was asked, you know, how does that make you feel? And, you know, the he's kind of like he pauses, he thinks about it, he said, obviously I would never want to upset her in that way and it upsets me to hear that I've upset her. But they're both playing caricatures of themselves in this Good Morning Britain arena. Piers is supposed to be our polarizing, right-adjacent, conservative voice of conflict, I suppose. And Susanna's then, by virtue of that, the meek voice of reason who thinks, well, I just want everyone to get along. The issue is that that is not how this works. You cannot say, well, because I didn't explicitly agree with Piers, he knows that I don't agree with him. And it is pandering to ratings, ultimately. And my husband and I spoke about this during the week, specifically in the context of that video that came out where those royal reporters were asked to comment on the Harry Meghan interview before it had aired and the things that they were saying. And you realise more and more that the media are not capturing the mood of the nation they are dictating it so I would go so far as to say 60% of the people who hate Meghan Markle hate her because that fire has been stoked by people like Piers because he has dictated the mood and he has dictated the mood by saying things like what about our poor queen her husband in hospital she's faithfully served the country for however many years But Susanna is equally as complicit in dictating the mood because she doesn't offer an alternative. Yeah, I agree. And I actually think that people like that are more dangerous because Piers is direct. We know his opinion, whether it's a show or not, we get his point of view. And when somebody is silent, when they are complicit, and in many ways, that is what racism in the UK is. It is so pervasive And I felt complicit when I was making excuses for Susanna Reid. And I was saying, oh, you know, basically she's a victim. But like you said, it's a show. They're putting on a show for us. And that's her role in the show. And the backlash now is that, you know, we don't want that. It's unacceptable. We don't want this kind of like negative racist mood to be stoked anymore. And then I think on Friday or by the end of the week, she wasn't on the show like I don't know if she had taken some sick leave or whatever you know whatever was going on but I think that there is a reckoning now and the same thing there was a reckoning as well with Sharon Osbourne this week and that's why I'm saying that you know the UK is not looking too good and you know Sharon Osbourne is one of the co-hosts on The Talk which is an American chat show and she had gone online and she was defending peers and then people retaliated against her and they were like this is not on you're racist And then she was so upset because people are so upset when they are accused of racism. They are more upset by being accused of racism than they are by 
acts of racism, right? So Sharon Osbourne, did you see the clip of Sharon on the talk? Yeah, and it was really traumatic. And I have to say it was really traumatic for me as a white person to watch that. And that's something that, you know, over the course of the week, I think has been presenting itself in different ways. I can't imagine how traumatic this week has been as a black woman watching everything play out, whether it's the Sarah Everard case, whether it's Meghan Markle, whether it's the TV talk show hosts presenting them in such a way. For those of you who haven't seen it, Sharon basically flew off the handle. And for me, it was triggering because I felt, wow, Cheryl Underwood is handling this with so much grace because she knows she can't match Sharon's energy. If she matches Sharon's energy, the optics will be so bad. She'll be labelled an angry black lady. So she has to bring like a times 10 level of like dignity and grace. It was Jesus Christ-like levels of dignity and grace that she brought to that situation. Because Sharon Osbourne also said at one point, you know, don't you start crying because Sharon Osbourne herself was quite emotional. And... I've used this example so many times on the podcast, but it is so worth watching if you haven't watched it before. If you go to YouTube and you look for Panty Bliss, she's an Irish drag queen, Panty Bliss Noble Call. And she speaks about homophobia in that particular video. And she says, if you are lucky, you are only a little bit homophobic because basically why wouldn't you be? You have been brought up in a society which is inherently homophobic. And to extend that, you are brought up in a society which is inherently racist and inherently misogynistic. And if you are lucky, as Pandy Bliss says, you will at one point only be a little bit racist or only a little bit homophobic or only a little bit misogynistic. But I don't think that you can ever be fully not racist or not homophobic or not sexist because it's so baked into us from day dot. And there was something I read, again, in the context of the story that Meghan Markle shared in that Oprah interview, where she said, you know, it wasn't me who made Kate cry, it was Kate who made me cry. And there was a comment saying, what makes me ashamed as a black woman is that I never considered the fact that Kate would have made Meghan cry. I was so happy to write off this story altogether. It it was a lie. It never happened Megan never made Kate cry, but I never considered that the opposite might be true because I don't consider that black women can be vulnerable in the way that white women can be. And that was my point. I was about to make that point when I saw Sharon say to her, don't you dare cry. When do you see black women crying? You know, I'm not saying black women don't cry. I'm black. I'm a female. I cry. But I definitely don't feel like I can cry. And it's not common for black women to weaponize crying weaponized is the word yeah because it's you know we don't experience oh we shed a tear and then people wrap our arms around us and people make excuses for us so it's not common for us to weaponize crying so when Sharon said that I was like you're a bit crazy now I was (laughs) it's a bit weird No, totally. And what I would be interested, actually, is to hear your thoughts on what she said afterwards, because I've seen a mixed response on this. And some of my friends have said, yes, this is how you do it. Like, not that it's a perfect apology, because that justifies her actions, but more that it's like, in her apology, she acknowledges, I reacted so badly, because 
I was genuinely like distressed at being called racist. And she acknowledges what you just said a moment ago about that white people often take more offense at being called racist than actual racist acts. So I'm interested to hear what you thought of her apology, knowing again that so often apologies or acknowledgements in these instances are so lukewarm, so tepid, the bar is so low for them. I think the challenge you have with Sharon Osbourne is that um, she has a track record of racism and there is a track record of those types of comments from her own other members of her family. So her children who were raised by her, right? So I think Kelly Osbourne said, you know, if you kick out all the Mexicans who will clean your toilets. Not so. <laughs> not great right so track record you know the receipts are there everything is on the internet and so knowing that this is this person's character knowing that that's how she treated her co-host her friend that's how she treated her friend that was her reaction to her friend I use friend loosely but they were using that term like they call each other friend right at least their colleagues right at least they're seeing at least their colleagues this is a time a week exactly their colleagues And she treated her with such disregard. She treated her with no respect. She gave her no humanity. When you turn around to say to someone, don't you dare cry, she stripped her of all of her humanity in that moment. She's going to have to do a lot more than put out a statement for me to be convinced that she learned from from what happened. And I think a lot of people are, you know, if you look at someone like Sharon Osbourne, she's having this reaction because of the way people are reacting to her rather than looking at the situation, reflecting and developing a different point of view. And that's why I have been saying Harry made me so proud because Harry took an anti-racist stance on a global stage with so much clarity and it's incredibly rare for people to change their mind when they have different information. So I'm not convinced that Sharon Osbourne is at that stage because she's so entitled. If Piers Morgan is your friend, you can text Piers, you can give him a call and say, hey, how are you doing? Coming out and taking the stand that she did publicly, I feel is really like another level. I don't feel it was necessary. I don't know why she would do that. She must be... That's why I'm saying the level of conviction that she had and the statements that she's made in the past, she's not neutral. Yeah, that's exactly it as well. It's that this didn't happen by accident. It happened because you came out the gate swinging for your friend Piers Morgan, who also has a track record of saying very problematic things. So it's why I don't have Twitter, right? I don't think that there's any need for me to think something and then put it out into the universe immediately. So maybe she was caught up in the Twitter mentality of, well, I feel this, I think it, I'm going to say it. And hadn't thought what the long-term consequences of that would be. But my issue with people like that, people like Sharon, they love it. I'm straight talking. These are my points of view. I'm going to say what I want. But when you match their energy... They can't handle it. Totally. If you have something to say, yeah, say it. But there are consequences nowadays, right? I, and, and that's what kind of I found very troubling about Piers because he's trying to market this whole thing as a freedom of speech 
mm-hmm. conversation. And you know what? I, and again, not to labor a point, but I've said this before, freedom of speech is not freedom of consequence. And we do not have freedom of speech legislation here in the same way that we do in the US. But people love to say that. People who think that they are being victimized, who are always invariably alt-right or alt-right adjacent, love to talk about freedom of speech. But guess what? If I did what Piers Morgan did in my place of work to one of my fellow colleagues, right, to try and carry over the analogy directly, I would be let go. I would yes, at, you the would. Least, at the very least, there would be HR repercussions as there should be, right? So this whole thing of like, oh, cancel culture, guess what? It's always been there and you lose your job if you say bad things. But the irony of this is Piers didn't lose his job. He quit. He's trying to parlay this into oh, Snowflakes cancelled me. Let me take this job at GB News, which is going to be, again, a new alt-right news station. And to, you know, continue on this bridge to carry us across to the Buckingham Palace statement that I also want to talk about. Guess who else is going to work at GB News? It's Dan Wooten, who works at the Daily Mail and who is behind so many of the negative stories about Meghan Markle. He's stepping back from his role now and he's going to start working for GB News as well. And that's going to be something where he is allowed now to proliferate his toxicity to a wider audience. At least let them call it what it is rather than it being on Good Morning Britain, which is meant to be just like Good Morning America. Like I would rather they take it over there and it's in the corner and it's like this is like a right wing platform etc and let them be with you know their right-wing people bingo i actually I would, prefer that. I would prefer to have the option of just not watching that channel as opposed to it being so mainstream and so normalized that as you say that's on itv every morning and it's got huge sponsorships from charities like mind or whatever the case may be yeah absolutely i think one of the things i, I keep seeing online that i find very problematic and this is something that Sharon Osbourne has said and Candice Owens oh god I hate has it. also and I don't want to you know I don't want to dignify that lady right but I think it's very important that it, this is addressed so when Sharon Osbourne came out acting the way she did last week people were sharing the racist things that Sharon Osbourne has said in the past and on the talk and it was Eve the rapper who was on on the show with her um, and a few other people that won the panel, women, black women that won the panel when she said this, she said, but Meghan Markle isn't black. And they said, to who? And she said, to everyone, she's not black. And then Eve said, you know, black women or black people come in different forms. And then Candace Owens has come out this week and said, Meghan is too fair to really experience racism. And I'm paraphrasing because I saw it really quickly. And again, this is really how toxic and pervasive racism is. Megan is uh, mixed race and Megan is incredibly fair, right? Megan is, is, is a light-skinned woman. But it, it, all it shows us is that light skin, education, money, those things do not save black people from the violence of racism. And when you start saying, oh, but this person is not 
black or this person isn't it's such a it's a dog whistle i am sure that Meghan markle benefits from colorism maybe most particularly in the united states or canada where she spent the most of her life but colorism doesn't protect her in an institute or in the context of an institute like the british royal family which is built on colonialism racism and violence and genocide essentially in some cases so slave masters had mixed race children those mixed race children had children that were subject to slavery that was subject to jim crow that today still experience racism and i think that racism is such a traumatizing thing it's such a complex concept that a lot of us don't really have a full handle on what it is but i don't want people to i don't want people's takeaway from this situation to be oh megan is too light skinned to experience racism and also when um Sharon was, you know, acting up and and Sharon says, "Oh, how is Piers Morgan racist?" It shows you the types of conversations that her and her mates must be having for, you know, these headlines and the way Megan is being treated to completely not I register with her. Yeah, it's completely bypassed her because there's another level of racism that she's used to. Do you get what I mean? Totally. And because the thing is that we can debate on where Meghan Markle falls on the black spectrum, right? Like that no, but we cannot. No, we but cannot. as in like hypothetically, it can be debated. You can talk about that all you want. But the fact is that she is black and also the experience that she had in the UK and no one wants to take ownership of this. Everyone wants to talk about, you know, the, the royal family specifically, as though it was one person or something that was making her life a misery. The experience that she had in the UK was rooted in racism. And it was also rooted in xenophobia, because as much as we have a great working relationship with the US, the two massive problems with Meghan Markle was that she was not 100% bona fide white, and that she wasn't 100% bona fide British. No, but those two things are the same. I think if she was British, but not white, it still would have been an issue. And so, yeah, I mean, I I just wanted to discuss it with you because I do feel that what happened with Susanna Reid was definitely a teachable moment for me. I also hope that Sharon Osbourne's behaviour was a teachable moment for people and ultimately for herself, right? I hope that she can actually grow Um, from what happened and from the way people are reacting. And I think the other teachable moment for me was the statement that was released from the palace. And so after the interview, people were expecting a statement. I think it took a day longer to arrive. And then when it arrived, I was underwhelmed. It was very lacking in energy, particularly when you contrast it with the statement that had been issued the week before which was inferring that Meghan Markle had been a bully in the palace. Thank you. 
Thank you. Such an excellent point. So if we compare that to the statement that was released before, where they were going to investigate the claims that Meghan Markle was a bully, and then, you know, we see the statement that comes out after their interview. And what really struck me was when the Queen said, recollections may vary. Wow. Wow. That struck me. I will never forget that. For the fact that they could put that in an official statement from the palace shows how far gone that institution is. That was gaslighting 101, another teachable moment. Nailed Recollections, <laughs> Recollections may vary. And that also makes me think that it was Prince Charles or it was Prince William that said it. Because ultimately the institution wants to protect the legacy. And I thought, why would you say recollections may vary if it was someone irrelevant? It was, that was a strong statement to make. Even though it was so weak, it was so strong, right? Yeah. And the thing is, I spoke to you during the week because then on Thursday, and this is all, you know, it's Gaslighting 101, but it's bad PR 101. On Thursday, Duchess Kate, the Duchess of Cambridge or Kate Middleton or whatever you want to call her, had an event with one of her patronages. William came along. It was awful. And the thing is, the reason that he came along as well was obviously to present some kind of protection for Kate Middleton so that she didn't get asked any uncomfortable questions about making Meghan Markle cry. But as they're leaving the event, a reporter shouts out to Prince William, have you spoken to your brother? So this is Thursday. This is Thursday. The interview has aired on Monday night, Please don't tell me that the royals waited until Monday evening, that they waited a full 24 hours after it had come out in the US. But So this is four days after the interview was initially aired. He's asked, have you spoken to your brother? And he goes, no, I've not spoken to him yet, but I will do. And then the reporter follows up and says, what do you say to comments that the royal family is racist? And he says, very much so not a racist family. And I messaged you and I said he should have just said nothing. A prime example of when opening your mouth has actually made you look worse. Defending no. yourself against an accusation of racism has made you look worse than if you had just ignored it altogether. I think for me, what came out of that that was really bad was when they said, have you spoken to Harry? And he said, not yet. And I'm like, what's going on here? He could have just ignored that question rather than saying he hadn't spoken to him four days after that interview have gone viral, basically. But the killer for me is that since this interview, the royal family have been doing the most, the most have been too much and doing too much very badly. Prince Charles went to Jesus House, which is a black church, has a black congregation, and it's um, they're using it for, for the vaccine. Prince Charles shows up at Jesus House, apparently... <laughs> This was in his diary before. He's got a relationship with the head pastor at Jesus House, but the timing was really bad. And then when Will and Kate did that visit that you're talking about, they had some black lady... Just standing. Just standing there like a prop. Where did they find this black lady? (laughs) I don't know what to say. It's so difficult, isn't it? It, Because it's so difficult, but it's so simple. It's like you didn't want to speak to your brother and... Also, when you think about the actual context of the the interview with Oprah, Harry and Meghan did not really come out swinging for Kate and Will as much as you might have hoped they would have, right? If you actually think about that impartially, Harry talks about, I love my brother. We've gone through such trauma together. We will come back together. Even, 
you know, Megan talking about Kate, she's saying she's a good person. I like her. She was going through some stuff. She apologized. I forgive her. We're in a good space. You don't have to hate me, but love her. You don't have to love her, but hate me. Ultimately positive things. Everyone came away from that interview being like, oh, Charles is the big bad. And then their behavior over the past week has really created a 180. Yeah, I agree. I don't think they came out that badly from that interview because even in the context of Kate making Megan cry, people were saying, oh, well, you know, weddings are really intense. The problem was more that the institution didn't come out to protect them or to protect Megan after, but the institution has been coming out all week. They've been speaking all week. You know, the institution or someone came out to make a statement on Prince Charles's behalf this week. Will is here making a comment when he's out. And, you know, this what's happened around Mother's Day for me is super strange. And then you've got Kate going out to the um, vigil for Sarah Everard, which considering this is not really Kate Middleton's cup of tea, like we never see her do this type of thing. And I just want to interject there because I realised this past week that we've actually got more international listeners than I was maybe previously aware of. So Sarah Everard, this has been a hugely traumatic case in the UK. It's a 33-year-old woman who was walking home from her friend's house on the 3rd of March and was abducted and killed by, it transpires now, a member of the Metropolitan Police Force here in London, a a man named Wayne Cousins. And so this has sparked a deserved outcry about women deserving to feel safe and not always having to have their guard up and the trauma of living in a society which proliferates this pervasive attitude of entitlement and misogyny where men can commit crimes like this and obviously that then in in counter-attack mode has presented that hashtag not all men movement but the point of this conversation is that there are micro trends which promote macro trends and a survey came out recently published by or that that appeared in the guardian excuse me it was yougov survey 97 percent of 18 to 24 year olds in the UK have experienced sexual harassment of some degree. And, you know, I actually wrote a piece on Medium about this. Men and women or? Women, sorry, women specifically. And I wrote a piece on Medium about this because I couldn't stop thinking about it. Because if 97% of women have been sexually harassed, who do you think is sexually harassing them? And it comes back to what you said earlier on in the podcast about People think that they aren't racist if they're not wearing a white hood. And men think that they aren't misogynistic if they aren't abducting, raping or murdering women. And the fact is that so much of this is, again, baked into us as a society. In the context of all of that trauma, a vigil was announced this Saturday in Clapham Common, which was the park that Sarah Everard was walking through or walking adjacent to, we still don't know her full route, when she was abducted. So a vigil was to take place there. But I'll I'll hand back to you now, Jules. I think when people talk about, if you say sort of the micro effects, the macro, right, there is a trend, massive trend, and I'm sure it's happening globally. It's definitely happening in the UK. Violence against women is increasing in the pandemic. And then I was on a, on a run the other day, and then I saw a poster that basically said that abusers are always working from home. Abusers always work from home. 
So I was like, wow, okay, that's the first time I've I've seen a poster like that. But it really hasn't been a national conversation. And so if we know that violence against women is increasing, more women are dying at the hands of their partners during the pandemic, the Sarah Everard situation isn't a surprise. What's happened with the Sarah Everard situation is that for some reason, luckily it's in the press and, you know, people are taking notice of it. But the challenge we have is that this is happening. It's the perfect kind of media storm because you've got an attractive young white woman. And then we find out, wow, it's a police officer. This adds another layer to the story. And so there are many different reasons why this has become such a focus at a national level. But we need to care about women on a daily basis. We need to care about women as just a part of our culture. And so I was really, you know, I, I, I have a lot of respect for the women that did come out to protest, right? Police laws are actually changing this country. There's so much stuff that's going on in this country, right? And I really do respect people taking a stand. And the fact that the protests on the weekend in London ended up with the police attacking the women that were out there protesting. That's you know, what, tell is, you. What's, what, yeah, what's going on? Totally. The person that, you know, we're saying did this to Sarah Everard, committed a sex crime prior, and it was basically swept under the rug. And so there are a number of officers in the force who have committed a sex crime, and it has been swept under the rug. So there is not a zero tolerance policy around this in this institution. But do you not think that the reason that there isn't a zero tolerance policy, and the reason that you have men saying, not all men, oh, I personally find this kind of behavior abhorrent. No one wants to have a discussion about this because everyone knows that whether you have done something yourself, you have been in an environment where you either proliferated it or you failed to call it out. And I feel personally that there has been a kind of collective grief in London most specifically, but I think it also extends further than that this past week because... This is just a mundane reality and it is more painful for some than others because, as you said, this is the perfect sequence of events. We are all talking about Sarah Everard because she was a young, white, attractive woman who was also doing all of the right things. She was wearing trainers. She was walking brightly lit streets. She's in a relationship So, you know, that feeds into a certain media narrative. And there is a collective grief that's being felt that is stronger in some cases because black women know that they are less likely to get the same amount of media attention. Non-binary or the LGBTQA community know that they are less likely to get the same amount of media scrutiny. We hate using this word on the podcast, but people from the BAME community get less attention because they are not perceived as palatable victims in the same way. And in the 2019 report from the Mayor of London's office, black women were completely overrepresented in crimes of sexual offence in London. Mm -hmm. And there was, when this whole Sarah Everard situation hit the news, there was another story. Basically, there's a young black lady called Blessing Olusegun, and... um, You know, there are similarities between, you know, what happened with her and what's happened with Sarah Everard. But Blessing was murdered last year. And the headlines that I saw were around October. So six months ago, I didn't know about it. 
right? This didn't hit the press at all. You know, and that did make me really sad because I, I said, you know, well done to these people that are taking a stand, you know, but the same people wouldn't have taken a stand if it was blessing. The same people wouldn't have taken a stand if Sarah Everard was a less perfect victim and worked in Tesco, right? You always have to be this perfect victim, which I find, yeah, which I find quite traumatizing. It's and so Yeah, yeah, it's really, 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 really exhausting. You know, and now, of course, my whole situation, my, you know, the way I view it is if um, I was the head of an organization and a number of the people that worked for me had committed sex crimes and they were still allowed to stay in my organization. And if one of those people had then escalated, their behavior had escalated to the extent of what's happened with Sarah Everard, I'd be fired. And so there's a lot of conversation of, you know, the police chief has to go, the police chief has to go. But like everyone is protecting her. Including, including our prime minister. Well, including our prime minister, but including the leader of the opposition, oh. Keir Starmer. Right. And it's so funny because we all joke like Keir Starmer loves to sit on the fence, but then he's getting off the fence for this to basically back the police chief. And so it's interesting because the UK loves to point its finger at the US. The US has got these issues. The US is this messed up place. We are not as bad as the US, but it's like, guys it's pretty bad it's pretty bad and when you mentioned the the metropolitan police chief so Cressida Dick basically came out and said you know crimes of this nature are really rare and the problem with that I hated that my takeaway was this person might have done this before because you don't go from zero to a hundred in one act that's not how it works And that's the thing, isn't it? It's that there were definitely signs along the way. And there's just like a really quick anecdote that I want to share. Because firstly, technically, Cressida Dick is correct, right? Women are not frequently kidnapped and murdered. But the fact is that women die at the hands of male violence. A woman dies every three days. And when you try to separate it out and justify it because of the minutiae, that's where it's like, it gets a bit grubby. I don't want to get involved in this because you're fundamentally wrong. And when you talk about there being a small percentage of men who will go the extra distance and actually talk about being a good ally and then perform that at the place that you and I worked together, there were always television screens throughout the office, which would always be, showing BBC News. So this was a couple of years ago now. And on this particular day, I hadn't been with the organisation very long, but they were doing a piece on revenge porn. And I was sitting at my bank of desks with two other guys my age, my peers within this team. And one of them said, if you don't want things like that to happen, don't be a stupid whore. The other guy agreed with him. And I'm thinking, I'm not here that long. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to be, I don't want to already be that woman on the team where they're like, oh, she's a buzzkill, can't make any jokes around her. And on the next bank of desks over, a guy called Tom Fletcher Manuel stood up and came over and said, what did you just say? And because men are so used to not being called out on this behavior, they said it again, very comfortably. And he said, That is so inappropriate. 
and unacceptable that I don't even know where to begin. But I want you to know that if you say something like that in front of me, again, I will escalate it. And as it stands, I'm going to say it to your manager when he gets back to the office. And then he went back to his desk and he emailed me and he said, I hope you're okay. And I just want you to know that I never think, I could get emotional saying this now. I just want you to know that I never think that language like that is appropriate, which is one of the few times in my life that actual allyship has been shown to me. But when my manager came back and when Tom shared this story with him, I later on got called into a meeting room with my manager. He had already spoken to the other two guys on my team. And he said, you know, can you tell me what happened? I told him what happened. And he said, you know, obviously, I don't want you to think that things like that are okay. But what I would suggest is just in future, you know, don't let it bother you so much. Don't react. And as time has gone on, I just think, I didn't even react in that situation. I'm not even the person that's brought this to you. Your peer has brought this to you and told you about what's happened. But you are laying the blame of this at my feet. And saying that in future, I shouldn't be so sensitive, even though I'm so used to tamping down my own sensitivity that I didn't even bring you this story in the first place. Exactly. Honestly, things like that make me so upset. And that's why people don't realise the decisions you make every single day to let things slide, to let people be harassed, to let people be abused, to justify why people are harassed, to justify oh, she's wearing that, she deserved it, why did she do that, she deserved it. All of those things make you complicit when something like what happened to Sarah Everard happens. And it's really important for everybody to take a look at themselves in the situation. I'm in situations all the time, especially when you have WhatsApp groups with a lot of people in them, and you hear the way people talk and you hear the things that they say, and then when you speak up as a woman, people attack you. You know, and these are young people. These are people our age. So we have a long, long way to go when it comes to these issues. And like you said, it's so rare. I'm trying to think of, yeah, it's super rare to to have people sort of stand up and say that's not okay. You know, and also, yes, people are talking about the male violence, but I think it's really also important for women to really self-analyze because we are 50% of the population and we are also complicit in explaining away why things have happened. And if you do constantly explain away why things have happened, that's why people don't speak up. And all of these, you know, if we sort of, yeah, there's some data, right? But we all know that violence against women are the most underreported types of crime. And so I, I do really hope that there can be a change. But the fact that the police chief is not resigning, like within herself, the fact that she can't say, I dropped the ball, let somebody else step in. She's discrediting the police force even more than it already is. And we are supposed to feel that because she's a woman in the role, that it would be more harmful to this kind of feminist utopia that we live in, that she would be asked to step down oh no we should be supporting her because she's a woman in the role and that's just simply not how things work we need to focus on the results we need to focus on the execution and I'm really really done with this lady I'm done and I'm done with everyone that defends her as well and I think that you're so right about saying that yeah men have a role to pay but so do fellow women 
on uh, the Andy Marr show. I don't know why I still watch that show, but they were saying that, oh, um, you know, women are 50% of the population, so are not a minority group. But, you know, we do need to have some regulation around like misogyny and basically make misogyny a crime or something like that. When you talk about, you know, when it becomes this whole thing of like, oh, let's criminalise misogyny, it's such a nothing. It's such a nothing because can I, is it strike one when you make a get back to the kitchen joke? You know, what What are the parameters of that? Yeah, I'd lo- yeah, I would love to. What's that Monique clip when she's like, I would like to see it. That's what this is. I would love to see you criminalise misogyny, but you aren't prepared to because you don't want to have to do the work and see, oh my God, here are all of the ways in which I have propagated misogyny throughout my life. It's in the same way that so much of the time people don't want to talk about consent because you know that at some point you have behaved in a way that is not representative of enthusiastic, explicit consent in your sexual or romantic interactions. But I do think things are changing because I I remember when I watched Sex Education on Netflix and I felt that they would always ask each other, you know, it was like, oh, can I do this? Do you like this? And it was, and I I thought, wow, I've never seen consent depicted anywhere. Mm -hmm. So we grew up without even knowing what consent meant, you know. And so if we didn't know what consent meant and then they said, oh, let's criminalise it, it doesn't actually solve the problem because people don't know what the problem is. Um, And I think that unfortunately we're still in that place with um, misogyny, but it's such a paper mache thing. It's so pervasive in, in a similar way to when we talk about racism, it's so pervasive. So let's start with having a zero tolerance policy against, let's start by enforcing the laws we already have. If we can enforce the laws we already have, then we can talk about other things. You know what, though? I do want to piggyback one thing off that, because you're right. Let's enforce the laws that we already have. But that's going to be that enables so many people to be like, well, then technically nothing for me to do. But here's what you can do. When you hear people in your cohort making problematic comments, be it the objectification or something that's just a little bit off, call it out say even if you don't feel comfortable going with the don't say that again I think that's problematic feel free to be the bare minimum which is that's weird do you actually think that yeah please be that person because I was in I'm in a whatsapp group and we were talking about sort of similar topics and it was only one guy that said what you're saying is wrong one guy and I'm sure there are other men in the group who disagree and are not sexist but they don't speak up 100 so it's one guy so even when you have good people they're not always willing to speak up please be that person and that's the only way you shift culture so yeah so guys thank you so much for listening i know it's been a pretty full-on episode but a lot of real things are happening in the world hopefully next week we can be a bit more upbeat it has been a tough week as we always say we would love to be talking about fluff so we just need if you guys start actioning these things if we all start actioning these things then we can do a more upbeat episode exactly thank you for listening share the podcast with a friend and check us out on tiktok instagram facebook we are at jules phoebe bye bye